Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I'm delighted to have with me as my guest today, James Butler. James, welcome to my show. Thanks, Meredith. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I first met James many years ago at a conference where he won Marketer of the Year, and he has such an impressive background. I want to uh, give your formal introduction first, James, and then we'll get into some of the many questions that I have for you about your new book. Sure, that'd be great. James Carl Butler is a serial entrepreneur who has built four companies from the startup phase to over a million dollars in revenue. He grew his first retail bridal store from zero to a million dollars in sales in just three years and grew another one from zero to a million in just 18 months. James has helped some of the most respected and largest retailers and businesses across the country to grow their sales and shatter their previous sales records. He's a celebrated systems and marketing authority who speaks and trains business owners on how to create rapid and sustained growth in their business. And what he's going to be sharing today applies to solopreneurs up to large businesses. And I had the opportunity to read an earlier book called The System is the Secret, which was a bestseller. And today I'm very excited about exploring with him his brand new book called Clear and Present Game Changers. And it's so relevant for today. James, you even have in there information that can help people during this phase we're going through right now with the pandemic. So um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Sure. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> well, the first thing I'd like to do is ask you to just tell us briefly about your journey, because you've had ups and downs in your business over the years. It hasn't been just smooth sailing. And then uh, how that has led to the work you're doing today. Sure. Yeah. So my wife, I mean, I kind of grew up in a little bit in an entrepreneurial home. My father's an entrepreneur and um, my couple of my brothers are as well, but uh, I got into the bridal business with my wife. So that's kind of how we got started as entrepreneurs. We, she designed wedding dresses and we sold those. And then I kind of introduced the context we had. So we had three, three retail bridal stores and uh, about 28 employees. And then the, 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 during the recession of 2007, 2008, the business started changing quite a bit. People were going direct to the factories overseas and we ended up getting out of that business. And so I learned a lot through those experiences that we grew the businesses really well. I've actually grown four companies from the startup based over a million dollars. And so we've I've had a lot of experience in kind of a, in turning businesses around or shifting them around or making different things. And so we exited the business and got out of the retail business. Now, now I do more coaching and training of entrepreneurs, helping them with systems development, helping them specifically with looking at what's going on in their business, how they can change things and make a turnaround or transform the business into what they, from what it is now to what they want it to be. And that's really what I kind of focus on now. Well, the book that you've just written about, Clear and Present Game Changers, 
to me is a must buy reference for entrepreneurs because you cover so many topics in there that will be a handy reference for them. And one of them that I want to start with is where you talk about the importance of business owners finding out, you know, what their unique strengths are so that they can use that to position themselves in a really positive way against the competition. So one of the things that I have heard business owners struggle with over the years is they are so close to their business, it's hard for them to really identify what are those unique strengths. So what are some of the things that you've done to help uh, business owners take a look at and find those unique strengths and how to leverage them? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's difficult, like you said, for people to see that on their own. And so sometimes it's talking about what you're doing, what areas of strength you have. And I think it's kind of a, you know, one of the things I do in the book is I kind of go through the 10 biggest problems that, that I see entrepreneurs really struggling with today and then identifying that. And sometimes, like you said, you can really figure out how to differentiate yourself by how you compare yourself with other people, what your strengths are. Most of us compare our strengths with other people's strengths, or a lot of times we compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths, and so we feel bad about ourselves or feel like we really can't accomplish much. And I think that takes a, a certain skill to be able to look at someone's, uh, basically their resume or what they do, and then figure out what's unique. But the, the one thing that's in, in a, an era of hyper-competition where there's so many people doing so many different things, I think the key is that you have to be different in ways that other people are not. And, uh, and I think like, for example, we have a lot of, almost every industry has a giant they're dealing with, you know, like Amazon or, you know, one of the giant big box stores in the retail space, or someone who's been doing this longer or better or has more finance or you know, better funding than you, whatever. And the one thing that don't, you can never copy or the one thing that nobody can ever do is be exactly like you. And so I think that's probably a big part of it is looking at your own personal thing. And so the, to answer that question, I think one of the things I talk about in the book is that to ask yourself this question, what argument can you win that the other competitor can never win? And that's a, that's a great question to kind of drill down on that and see maybe it's you specifically, maybe it's your, your personal attention they're going to get from you, your ability to follow up with people that other people may not get. Like a lot of times a lead will come in and then nothing ever happens with it. Whereas a small business owner, a solopreneur can really be really focused on that individual, give them customized attention they would not get anywhere else. So I think that's a big part of it. I think um, it's looking at, you know, how do you win in the last three feet? That's a question that I talk about in the book too on that section about how do you uh, win the sale at the end? And so, because some, a lot of the, your competitors are big box or big industry giants. They're good at getting people to investigate the product. But what matters is what happens in the last three feet of the sale, the last, that introduction to you, your personal attention to them. And I think if you can drill in on what that specific focus is for you, that's where you're going to win. Because if they like you, they trust you, and they know you better than anybody else, they're going to buy from you. And that's, I don't know, if that, hopefully that answers your question. But it's just... Uh, well, yeah, because I think uh, as I'm listening to you, it seems to me another thing they could do is go back to clients who purchased yeah. from them in the past and just ask, yeah, what was it about yeah. me that caused you to say yes to me instead of the other options that you had? Yeah. And I think that confirms sometimes what you already believe. And sometimes it opens an avenue that you already weren't even aware of was the big thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, great that's point. A, yeah. That's really important. There's a second chapter you have um, that 
to me is a really important one. It made me think, and this is the thing I loved about your book. There were so many things about it that I really identified with and, and marked it to go back to and say, I need to answer this question. I need to go deeper because this will be helpful. Sure. So one of the things, one of the questions you had that I would love for you to talk a little bit about so people can, again, be thinking about how does this apply to them is how can we uncover hidden opportunities or hidden money that we may not be currently seeing for our business? Because we can get so focused on, you know, right. in a narrow way. Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about just a second ago, that you, uh, it's looking at what happens next. I think that's probably the best way to find hidden money is to answer that question of what happens next in your sales process. So if someone comes in, they might buy one product. But most business owners, they don't really think much more beyond that sale. So the best way to find hidden money is to look at what happens next. Is there another product they can buy? Is there another alliance they can have with somebody else? Is there another uh, product that would go to, is there somebody downstream that can benefit from you that you could actually introduce that person to and get a referral bonus from? So I think those are lots of different things. Sometimes it's looking at other markets that you weren't even aware of. I talk about this in the book about how when I was in the bridal business, I wasn't even aware of really of another market segment that really helped us grow our business quite a bit. And um, that was in working with Vietnamese businesses and that were, there was a little center they had just around the corner from our store. And that was something I never really thought about aligning with other people uh, that are completely different industries, but they also need wedding dresses or whatever product is that you sell. And um, so I think that's really key is so thinking about outside the box a little bit of thinking about where are other people shopping that maybe they don't have access to the same things that you do and how could you target them and pay attention to them. And if that person feels welcomed and involved and appreciated and part of what you're doing, then that makes a massive difference in one way to do business with you. So I think it's like, there are a lot of questions in the book that I kind of outlined for you to really kind of yes. think through those questions. But I really, that's, as I've thought about this in my own business, in my own life, is really kind of thinking about where are other opportunities? Where are, maybe where are my competitors not paying attention to a specific area? How can I grow or help them and help another business be successful? Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, a friend of mine recently, and he's in the mattress business. And so one of the things that he does, I think is really interesting, is that he has aligned himself with hotels to go have an experience trying out one of their really, really expensive beds, like a $20,000 bed or $20,000 mattress. So they can go to the hotel and have experience there at the hotel. It's a really nice hotel, but they can also experience his product there. And then he gives them a credit for what they spent at the hotel to buy that mattress. And so that's an example of aligning yourself with somebody else in a way you might not think about, but that can sometimes change the whole trajectory of your business. That's such a great example. And I think that that's what we're really talking about because we can have these traditional partners or uh, influencers or um, allies that we work yeah. with, but yet you identified, I think it was a number of different Asian companies yeah. in your yeah. area. Um, talk just a little bit about that because what I want to do is stimulate the thinking of my listeners to, to ask themselves, how could I do something like that? So what was your approach in working with them? Yeah. So first off, I found out a little bit more about their business. Just asked them questions about what they did. I found out they did a fashion show where a lot of the affluent members of the community, this was in the Vietnamese community. And then I asked them, do we have other friends or other business owners that maybe are in the Filipino or whatever? And we ended up building an alliance with several, across several different channels with those individuals. But first we looked at what I could do to help them to build and promote their business. And so we did a little fashion show for them, kind of showed we do a fashion show 
we did a fashion show all the time in that particular area. But I've learned a lot from that lesson of, of asking, once you help them, who else do you know who has a similar need? And then you just take across cultural things. I mean, we can all be, I think especially in this time, we can all be more sensitive to how, you know, we can be more, you know, help other people from different backgrounds and not be like, well, that's different than me. But like, let me include, be, be more inclusive and be more involved. And it's amazing how when you really get into their business and try to understand what they're looking for, we're all the same. We're all looking for how we can help our families. And, and so if you look at it from that perspective and then just think, how else can I help you? Who else is in your community that can help? And so she, the, the one first person I worked introduced me to a three other people. We had a collaboration and a meeting together. And then that involved some more people. And so... So it ended up being, we became one of the top places for that particular, uh, you know, I don't know what the ethnic group or whatever. I don't know how the right word to say, I guess, in today's vernacular. But basically, different groups of people across different cultural lines that I never would have maybe thought about talking to about my business beforehand. But as I've grown my business and, and different businesses I've done over the years, I've realized how important that is that we don't exclude other people we include everyone that we can benefit and help and so that uh, hopefully that answers your question but it's it it's does, yeah. helping someone specifically and then expanding a bot beyond that to something else right and i love the fact that in the time that we're recording this you know there are major changes that are happening in our country and around the world around Absolutely. looking at everyone through different eyes and through a different lens and i think that if we step back and look at opportunities for the business, that's just one way of looking at it. It could be right. looking at people that are in different industries that we might not have thought of partnering with before. But I think one of the things that um, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but I think is an important question is, you know, who else is serving my ideal clients? Right. And so how can I reach out to them and form a relationship? And I really like what you said about looking for how you can be of service to them first before right. asking for anything from them. Yeah, so it's like looking upstream and also downstream because you never know how that's going to cross over. You know, mm -hmm. like in the wedding business, it was kind of an interesting business because we only would sell that one time. I worked in the solar industry for a while. And you never know, you, you sell, someone gets solar, but you can get a lot of referrals from those individuals too. So it doesn't really matter what the business is, but we'd look at where else are these individuals at? And so like in the wedding business, the first thing they do is buy a wedding ring, right? They get engaged. And so we would go to all the jewelers and say, look, if you'll send everybody, when they buy the wing, give them this brochure or this little coupon to come to our business. We'll give them $100 off the dress and then we'll give you a referral bonus for everybody who comes in with this, your logo on this, this sheet of paper. We got a lot of referrals that way. And then the same thing, like we also went to uh, caterers who would go meet with brides sometimes and we would actually ask them, hey, can you promote our business for us? We'll promote yours. And so we had an advertising program where people actually paid money to be in our catalog to promote our business, to the, uh, promote their businesses to all the brides that came into ours. And then we'd give them a list of our contacts, all the, the people would come into our store. And that was a good win-win situation because they'd pay us money to be advertising, but then we'd also promote their business and they got a lot of business out of that as well. So yeah. you know, that it, kind it of energy. Ways is powerful. Absolutely, yeah. One of my other favorite chapters, I guess it's because I'm responsible for marketing and sales in our company, but your, your chapter five on sell experiences and not products, or yeah. in the case of many of my listeners, not selling or emphasizing services. Right. And um, so my question for you around that is how can someone who's a consultant, coach, trainer, or service professional 
apply these ideas and create a wow experience for their clients so they uh, not just remember it, but are, are really transformed and, and, and want to tell other people, sort of like the Disney experience. Yeah, I think that's a great point. A lot of people just focus on the transaction of doing the business, and they don't focus on getting people to talk about it. People want to talk about wow experiences. No one talks about blasé, bland, boring experiences. You know, they talk about, you think about the last vacation you went on or something, or you went to a restaurant or a movie that you saw that was really good. You talk to people about it because it transformed how you thought or the food was so great, you couldn't believe how great it tested. You're still thinking about it days later after you ate it. But I think that's a really big part about forming a better offer and forming a better experience for people. You want to create a wow experience. You want to create an experience where people are really thinking in a different way about what it is. So if you think like, for example, with Apple and how they do their, their products, you know, it's, they're creating an experience where people trust their brand and want to do that. I talk about that a lot about how to build a better offer in the book as well. But I wanted to, I think it's just really important to think about when you create an experience to number one, have stratification in it. So there's multiple levels for multiple groups of people. So someone's not excluded. So if you think about Apple, for example, they have like a 16 megabyte or a 16 gigabyte phone, a 32 gigabyte phone, 120 gigabyte phone. So they're all different prices, right? But someone can still have the experience of the phone at the 16 gigabyte price. And that's something to really think about with the experiences too. Are you creating an experience where people, uh, they want to come back, you know? Like I have a friend who owns an ice cream parlor, parlor called uh, Brooker's Ice Cream. And what they've done is they transformed the store so it's like going back in time to uh, colonial American days. So the purpose of it is to, they teach people American history while you're eating ice cream, which is kind of a unique experience. But because of that, he can charge more for it. People go into the ice cream parlor and while they're getting their ice cream scoop, they teach them about, they, each of the ice creams are named after an American, a person in American history. So they talk about that person and educate you on that. And then when you sit down, it's like sitting in a, an old tavern kind of a thing. They have one of those stock places where you can put your hands, uh, arms in, you know, like a stock kind of a thing. And so when you, you eat ice cream, and it's really great ice cream, but the experience and what you feel like when you're in there and what you learn is more impressive than the ice cream. And that's a really good example of that too. Um, trying to think of like other experiences I've had. I remember uh, John Maxwell is a, a hero of mine. I really enjoy reading his books. And several years ago, I went to one of his events called Exchange, where you, it was a two-day event, a two-and-a-half-a-day event, and we would go there, and I think I counted up like eight different surprises that happened as part of the experience. So that's another thing is to create surprises. When something's not expected to happen, that happens in there, it totally shifts how you think about the experience. And so we would come back from a long day of meetings, and there would be a surprise in our room. There would be, we'd, we'd, there would be a surprise that we weren't expecting to be there. And so it really made me think a lot about how we don't create enough surprises in the lives of other people. I mean, people love Christmas because of that, right? They love the idea of opening a present they didn't know what it is or their birthday. And so tap into those ideas of how to do that. When we were in the bridal business, when people would show up at our store for an appointment, we'd have a gift for them. We'd give the bride a set of earrings or we'd give the groom a set of cufflinks. So no expectation of them to buy, but it changed how that in interaction went because they would open this little box. And I talk about this in the book. They'd open this little box and inside would be this gift. And they'd be like, holy smokes, I haven't even done anything yet. And I'm already, they already have done the surprise for me, right? And that shifts the, the discussion from, uh, am I going to buy or when am I going to buy here? You know, and that's really what you want to have happen. So it's really transforming that experience from how can I make a transaction to how can I create an experience that cannot stop thinking about or talking about to other people? That's where you get referrals. Yeah, that's great. 
and I think for people who are service professionals that don't necessarily have somebody coming into a store with them, right. thinking creatively about like what you were saying, John Maxwell's was a good example. That was an event. And there are little things that you can do that don't necessarily have to cost a lot of money, but right. that, that provide the keyword is surprise that would cause them to go, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Right. And I think that that, again, is one of those creative questions for people to ponder. What could I do in the way that I work with prospective clients as well as when someone becomes a client? Uh, did you have any specific ideas of, of ways to thank people for deciding to do business with you? Yeah, we would send out uh, like gifts as well there too. But I, I've done that where you send them a postcard, you send them a note, you can send them a message. I think there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, we would even give like, um, when we were in the bridal business, we'd give out a package that would mail them a package that had like popcorn in it. You know, even if they just requested information from us, we would send them information inside. There'd be like a DVD that they could pop in and have like a microwave popcorn bag like that. Or we'd even send sometimes out hot chocolate, a hot chocolate package and use that as a story to kind of talk about how we want you to be a part of our family and how we used to have hot chocolate around the family. So that's an idea. I think going back to what we were talking about before with even just in the, you know, your consultant, what's the surprise you could offer? You could offer a look at, let's say you do 10 things that you do to really help that all of your clients say, this is the most valuable thing I got from you. Offer the first two of those to them as a special report or information that's going to help transform their business in a way that they weren't expecting. And so it builds that trust and that credibility. Because if you know the answer to one or two things like that, what's the other eight things going to be like? And that's really valuable. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that just thinking about what would I want to receive? Because I think today's culture, we don't really thank people enough for things. So when you buy something, it's very rare for you to get a note in the mail that says, hey, thanks for buying this for me. We would always do that for every purchase. We would send out a handwritten note and we'd put in something special from that conversation we had with them that said, hey, we love so much working with you. Here's a thank you note. Here's a little gift card to say thanks for coming in today. Uh, we even had, when we were in the bridal business, we had uh, we would give out a, a box that had a wedding preservation, uh, wedding memories, I'm sorry, wedding memories preservation kit. So that when they they'd have a little booklet they could fill out as they're going through where they'd write their vows down and different things like that. So it was a gift that we gave to them at the conclusion of the sale. Even a t-shirt, you could do something like that too. I think that... Um, there's so many ways that you can express thanks to people in ways that can be meaningful to them. And so just explore that idea. What does that mean to get something in the mail that's a gift card or a, a thoughtful message? You know, when I was in the solar business, we would give out, um, you know, we would give them an invitation if they would give us referrals right there on the spot when they would buy, that we would give them a, uh, we'd give them an invitation that they could get, we'd pay their payments for them for a year if they would just give us three referrals. And so we got a lot of referrals that way before we even left the house, we'd have that. So you can use it to transfer into something else that you can get next, you know, mm -hmm. but what happens next question or WHN, as I call it, is really, really important. You've got to think about the next thing that's going to happen and then have the invitation or the thank you for the first gift, line them up for the, the opportunity to buy the second opportunity that you sell. Yeah. What you're really talking about is, is having a system and you're so excellent at that with your yeah. book on systems. I highly recommend that too, but you do cover that also in this book to a fair degree. And uh, it helped me to think about what are the different systems that are important in our business and how well are we implementing those? Just 
thinking about that aspect. Um, the other thing that uh, is a chapter that, to me, some people might find a little controversial just because of the word that you use, this idea of manufacturing your own celebrity. And yet, to sure. me, it's very powerful and has tremendous potential. So let's talk about that a little bit. What do you mean when you say manufacture celebrity? And you shared 10 different things that people can do. I mean, every chapter is packed with actionable ideas. So we're just scratching the surface here. And so after you define what you mean by that, share one or two examples or tips that people could use to create that. Yeah, I think it's really, if you think about the power of celebrity today, I mean, it's, it's amazing the power that we give to other people, but we won't give it to ourselves. And that's really one of the point of that chapter is that you have to manufacture it. If you don't care enough to promote yourself and be available for people and really become a celebrity and your expertise in your market, that's never going to happen. No one's going to stand around to appoint you. You need to appoint yourself. So that's the first thing I talk about is that you've got to be the one that says, you know what, what I have here is really valuable. And so I'm going to promote this in a way that shows that I'm an expert. So it can be as simple as writing or sharing ideas beyond a podcast like this one, where you actually share your expertise with other people. It can be as complex as actually organizing an event where people can see your celebrity. You know, if, and I talk about Houdini in the book, you know, he wasn't a great, uh, I mean, he was a great magician, but he was better up at promoting his business and creating celebrity. So people would want to come see him. So like, for example, you have this trick where he would, uh, he'd go to a challenge, a constable to say, I've got these handcuffs or I'm going to have you make these handcuffs for me and that no one can get out of. And the constable would give him these handcuffs and put them on and he'd be like, I can't get out of these, you know. But then he would go and sit in a little enclosed room. They could hear him struggling, but they couldn't see what he was doing. And he would just basically read the paper in there, in the little enclosed room, and then wait till like 20, 25 minutes had gone by. And then he'd struggle some more. And every few minutes he'd punch the wall or whatever. And then he would break out the handcuffs. And it turned out later that, um, that he, he actually knew the police officers that he had. He'd actually pay them to throw down these challenges to him. And then he would break, break out of these things. So it's more of a, he's a great at promoting himself more than being a great magician. Yeah. Uh, but he learned how to do it in really impressive things like holding his breath for long periods of time. And he would invite the audience to hold their breath with him. And so when he would break out of the, the underwater torture cell, which was basically him having his head and uh, his upper body immersed into this uh, milk jug, basically milk can, that they couldn't say, I couldn't go that long because they would stop breathing after 20 seconds or 30 seconds and he'd go on for three or four minutes. And then when he come out, they'd be like, holy smokes, this guy's amazing. So that creates a celebrity feature too of seeing you do something that no one else has done or can do or they think they can't do, that creates celebrity. So I think it's, it's looking at ways that you can kind of promote yourself in a unique way, but it really comes down to the point you have to be committed to being a, in doing that. So like in the fashion business, for example, a lot of celebrities are created by what they're wearing. You know, so if you see like the Oscars or you see like the Grammys, when they have the red carpet event beforehand, it's more about what necklace they're wearing or what, who made the gown that they're doing. So where did those come from? It's not like they went to the store and bought those. Those designers gave those gowns to them to wear for the night. And as long as they would say something about it on TV. So that was, that's an example of manufacturing celebrity where you align yourself with someone who can promote you and they get a benefit out of it because they get a free gown that they're wearing for that night and then, or beautiful jewelry. And then they get, because the next day everybody's talking about what they wore and who wore it best and stuff like that. So that's an example in that particular industry. But I think it's just taking time to think about how can you promote yourself in a unique way where people 
they, they see that and they say, wow, I want to be like that. And that's really what celebrity really is, if you break it down, is this ability to say, I, want, I wish I had that kind of influence, that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, power, I guess. Because this really is power. Celebrity is power. I have a quote in the very beginning of that chapter from Jerry Seinfeld about why celebrities or why people seek celebrity. Because in his words, celebrity is power. And it's the ability to, to say something people you know, soak it in like a sponge and say, I want to do what that person's doing. I want to wear what that person's wearing. I want to have what that person has. And that's kind of, in other words, what celebrity is. If you think about your customers and you can turn them into celebrities, that's a really powerful idea too. Apple does that extremely well. When they have a new product launch and people go on their product to buy a new phone or a new iPad, when they have the launch, people would actually, they'd applaud the customers as they'd come in the door. They'd been waiting outside all night long and they'd come in and they'd, the, all the employees would applaud them and make the customer the celebrity. I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do to really show your celebrity in that way too. So hopefully that gives you a few. Yes, that's well, that is a powerful turnaround because when you think about making yourself a celebrity, that that's a whole different field than trying to look at how do I make my clients a celebrity? And one way that I'm thinking of with someone who's in a service business is how can you help somebody experience such a powerful turnaround or transformation in their organization that, or with themselves that they can't wait to talk about it and you capture them on video and help promote them and their business because of what they're saying. So it's yeah. that idea of looking at ways because overall you're enhancing another individual, not just yourself. Absolutely. If you think about Disney or Disneyland or Disney World, I don't know. When I had a little, my girls were little, we went and stood in line for what seemed like forever to go see you know, Princess Aurora or you know, Cinderella. And think about the draw that celebrities have, that they can, even like a fictional character that's not even real, that people line up for hours and wait for hours. They'll go out and while they're waiting in the line, they'll buy the dress, they'll buy the, the, the head, you know, the tiara, they'll buy all the stuff that the celebrity has while they're waiting for that. And it's the same thing whether you're a comic or you're uh, in show business or whatever it is. You, you don't just buy the ticket to that event. You buy their book, you buy their t-shirt, you buy everything that that person has. And that's really the power of what celebrity does is that you want to be like them. You want to show them that you're a, a real fan. Mm-hmm. If you can turn that on its head and make it so customers want to have that experience and interacting with you, that makes it really powerful. Sometimes you'll see this with like authors. What they'll do is they'll They'll say, take my new book and then photograph yourself in an unusual place. And the person who has the most unusual place will win some prize for me. And so you'll see in a Facebook feed, you'll see all these people posting a picture of them wearing a t-shirt that they sent to them or a book. And that's a great example of where they're actually making the customer into a celebrity with this, but it's also promoting them and their book at the same time. That's That's a a great idea. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, probably, if not my very favorite, one of my other favorite chapters had to do with, it was chapter nine, avoid distractions, stay focused and implement more. And I have to tell you, the day after I read that chapter, I was more productive just because I had in my brain the different things that you suggested. Because it's so easy these days, even with what I like to think of as, as clear focus, it's still easy to get distracted by interruptions or an email that comes in or something else that can create this um, a pulling away that takes our attention from what's most important. So what are one or two suggestions that you might share today with my listeners that could help them get more done every day? Yeah, it's such a weird question. Well, it really comes down to what your objectives and your goals are. You know, if you don't, 
if you're not clear about what you want, you will never set aside the time to do that, uh, to, to really be organized and productive. And I mean, this is my 18th book that I've written. And you don't write 18 books over a period of 10 years by just saying, you know, someday I want to write a book. It takes focus and a determination of to write a little bit every day or to write a little bit uh, in a, every, a, every week or a specific time in a month. When I wrote my first book, I was really busy. I was running five businesses at the time. And uh, I was like, I don't have time to write a book. I don't know how I'm going to do that. So what I would do is I, would, I blocked off one day a month that I would actually do the writing. And I went to a, a secret secluded location where no one could find me, where no one knew where I was. And I would just write for the day. And so during the weeks before that, I would like, put together my stories and ideas and kind of organize my thoughts. And then I would just sit down one day and write. And I did that for a year. And I had a 12-chapter book that came out. And that's how I wrote my very first book. So sometimes it's something just like scheduling the time for you to actually do that activity. Mm -hmm. So same thing with systems development. A lot of people say, I want to get better systems in my business, but they never take time to plan that. So when I sit down with my clients, I'll say, okay, Tuesday and Thursday is your systems. You have two hours that you can work on systems the next, every Tuesday and Thursday. And so they'll sit down and they have a start time and they have an end time. This is a really important concept I talked about in the, in the book too. Mm -hmm. We all have start times, but we just let it go on and on and on. And we never have an end time. And so if you say, I've got 90 minutes to get this activity done, and you focus on, you'll be amazed how much more you can do in that 90 minutes than yeah. if you just say, okay, I'm going to start at nine o'clock and by five o'clock, I have to have something done. If you say, I got to have this done by in 90 minutes, no matter what, guess what? You'll have it done. And you have a whole bunch more time to do on something else. But you have that start and end time. What really matters is the end time because, you know, if you watch your competition, they have to start the, the race or they start the sporting event. And we all probably miss sporting events because we haven't had those much lately. Right. Anyway. <laughs> but you have the start time and you have the end time. And that's what matters is when you cross the line. And so if you don't really dial in where that end time is going to be, guess what? It never will happen. You'll always be looking to the future to do something. And so I think that's a really key is when you're focused on that, you will not be distracted, period. No one can come into your office and bother you. And if you have to, go to a, a hidden place where no one knows where you're at. Don't tell anyone where you're at. I left my phone in the car so that I couldn't be distracted by my phone. And then I would sit down and write. And uh, be careful. You have to do the same thing where you turn on the internet on your computer so that you can't go check email or do whatever it is. It's just focused on writing for that few hours. You have a start time and end time. And then when you leave that end time, you're so happy because you're so productive, just like what you experienced earlier. You're just like, wow, if every day could be like this, just think what I could do. And, and making that mind shift of doing things a little bit differently that way, that makes a massive shift in how you think about your productivity. And then with every day you're more productive, it builds your own self-confidence. You're able to get more done. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be distracted by anything because you know that that's your goal is to finish that thing. So I think that's really important. So focus on one thing at a time. Don't get distracted. Have a start and end time. Also work in blocks of time. Our bodies are on rhythms and we work in 90 minute cycles. And so if you can work for 90 minutes straight on something, then take a 10, 15 minute break, you will get a lot more done that way than if you ever try to just focus on all the different things at one time. So I think that's a really critical idea too, is just to, to work on that. I think you also have to know your weaknesses if you're going to really be good at being productive. So if your weakness is, I got to check my email, I got to check the news every few minutes, or I got to check my social media feed, then put yourself in a situation where you cannot access that information for a 90 minute block of time. Anything can wait for 90 minutes. I mean, you can, you know, if a phone call, you can, someone can, you can call that person back in 90 minutes. But if you don't, if you're not disciplined about that, you will easily be distracted and you won't get nearly what you could do done. So that's, I say know your weaknesses. I think it's good to have consequences. That's another thing I talk about in the book too, is that you say, okay, if I get this done in 90 minutes, I'm going to go take myself out for ice cream or go do something else that you really want to do. And so that 
anytime you get distracted, I know I got to finish this because I have this consequence. I get this reward or I can't go do something I really want to do tonight. I can't watch a movie or whatever it is. Uh, I'm not going to watch this Netflix show this weekend that I have blocked off for myself. But even scheduling activities like that, scheduling activities with your family, scheduling activities with your, or if you have like a vacation, you're going to go on with your family. So if I don't get this done by tonight, I can't go on my vacation with my family. And how disappointing is that going to be to tell my kids or my wife, sorry, we can't go because I was an idiot and I couldn't balance my time right. I couldn't get things done. And so that kind of motivation really helps you dial in that that focus that, uh, that you're not going to get distracted with anything else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's helpful to have an accountability partner, partner, someone you say, hey, this is what I actually did, and here's what you need to do to who, and uh, I'm going to help you. It's best if it's in a paid group, too, because there's a consequence. If, I, if I'm in a paid mastermind group, I'm going to be much more productive than if I'm just in a, hey, text you, I didn't get it done because I was busy doing something else. Mm-hmm. So that accountability partner, I think, is really good. And then the last thing I would just say that's really been helpful for me in my life is to batch and block projects. So if I do podcast editing, for example, I do it all at the same time in a block of time. Or if I'm going to do marketing, I do that every Monday morning and I work on that in a block of 90 minutes or two blocks of 90 minutes. But if you block all that together, it's amazing how much you can do because your mindset's already there in that specific area of focus. You're not trying to do all these different things all at the same time. So there's lots of things I just suggest there, but I think it's really key that you... Yeah have a priority of what's important to you and then make that the important thing when it's supposed to be important and nothing else matters. Really focus in on that. That makes a massive difference. The final thing that you just mentioned there, I'll add something that's been helpful for me just in terms of a a social mode versus a creative thinking mode. Mm. I have a couple of days a week that I don't schedule any calls so that I can have just time to work on projects that require attention and quiet versus the days that I'm doing podcasts or, you know, having phone or zoom calls, the social aspects, the interactive aspects, rather than trying to switch back and forth so much um, Mm -hmm. in a given day from one to the other, or some other things that I do in the morning are when I have my focused blocked time and then I'll schedule phone or Zoom calls in the afternoon so that I'm not trying to intermix the two. It makes it easier. It's almost like not trying to multitask, but just yeah. in terms of the kinds of activities. And I talk about this in the book too, but it is, your, your body has different times of the day when you're more active or more alert. So use the, the morning, for example. I'm a morning person. I like being creative. My wife is a night person. So we both have our times where we're most productive. And so we don't bother each other during that time. But I think that's really important that you understand each other. You understand your weaknesses. That goes back to that. Mm-hmm. So if you look at your time and it's okay, this is when I'm most alert. That's where you should be doing creative stuff. Where you're most exhausted, that's where you should be doing stuff where it doesn't require a lot of thought on your part. Maybe that's running mm-hmm. errands or, um, you know, reading. I mean, reading for me is a creative activity. But, um, yeah. you know, just those, those kinds of, if that makes sense. Just taking time sure. to... Uh, open the mail and look at the bills, for example, or paying bills. That's an activity that doesn't require a lot of brain power, except for, right. do I have this much in the account? Can I write out the bill and take care of it? Or, uh, but, but like um, creative things like answering email, you can block that into a time. So just like I answer emails between one and two in the afternoon, and then I'm not doing it all day long. And I can have a chance to think about things and be creative. It'll be at a moment where I'm fresh and I'm prepared to do that instead of being exhausted. Sometimes we answer an email when we're exhausted and later we say, I should not have sent that, you know, or <laughs> right. send an email out when we're angry. And then we are like later, I shouldn't have sent that. You know, I should have yeah. waited until I was ready to talk about that. So that's, those are all just examples of that. 
specific idea of blocking that time out and knowing your weaknesses and then working around those to be mm-hmm. really productive. Those are all excellent ideas. And James, because we're getting close to time, I want to wrap up with a question that's really relevant today around the, the whole COVID-19 and the pandemic and the impact that it's had on so many businesses and individuals. What are some things that you might suggest that would allow someone in a business to thrive and emerge from this stronger um, going forward? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's, um, we've all had to experience this. You know, it's, it's not something that we've been immune from. Some have been deep, more deeply affected than others for sure. But uh, I know for me, I try to set up my own quarantine schedule when I, we were in quarantine more specifically of getting up and doing specific things during the day or having blocks of time where I was going to write or do different things like that to be as productive as I could be in that situation. And so actually, I had actually finished the book about the time that this happened, the quarantine happened. And uh, so I decided to add an extra chapter. So I added a chapter 13, which is all about how to deal with crisis situations. And I talk about this a little bit in my System is a Secret book too, but I go into a little bit more depth here, but how you really have to manage your emotions. I think one of the things that this crisis has taught us that it's really easy to go up and down in emotion within a short period of time. It could be minutes, it could be an hour, it could be a whole day where you're like depressed because your business is not what it used to be. I know I have a lot of friends who are in the speaker industry that their whole business has basically changed overnight. And so I think the first thing I would just recommend you do is take stock of where you're at right now. You've got to write down what's, what you can do first because there's a lot of things you can't control mm-hmm. and it doesn't do good to stress out about those or worry about those. So I think focusing on that is really important. I had one of the things I did when the pandemic first started was I read, reread the book uh, by Dale Carnegie, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living Again. I've read that book several times, but what an eye-opening it was, the experience was to just basically you can see in your Facebook feed the fear and the terror and the, mm-hmm. the worry of people putting all their energy into that. And then he talked about how you can stop worrying and start living on your life now. Sure, it's different. Sure, it's not what it used to be, but you can change it and start working on specific things that can bring you out of that that have that where you're at, you know? And so I have friends who in a lot of different industries who've basically responded in different ways. There's some people who have shut their business down and didn't do anything at all in it and just went into like a hibernation mode or watch Netflix or whatever it is. I could never do that. I mean, I, I, well, some of my friends that didn't watch any Netflix, they actually worked harder than they ever have in reshaping their business to what it could be. And so in the book, I talk about putting down, once you make a list of what is how things are now, then you start listing what you can do now and maybe, and then put together a 90 day plan. So it doesn't have to be forever. It just has to be the next 30 days, the next 60 days, the next 90 days, what you're going to do. And if you break it down to those activities, you say, okay, this is something I can get done in the next 30 days. Here's something I do in the next 60 days. And here's a little bit longer term because you might go 30 days and find out that something's completely changed. And what you thought we're going to be doing is not the same anymore. And that's mm-hmm. and how many times has that happened over the last several months? I mean, <laughs> you have to think you have one idea what it's going to be and it's going to shift into something different. Yeah. And so I think that's really key. But then having goals specifically about what you can do, having targets, what you're going to be doing. Maybe it's going out and promoting yourself more and working more on manufacturing your celebrity this time so that you can actually attract more people to you instead of trying to push something. I think if you're desperate and you're pushing something on people, you're pushing for the transaction instead of thinking about what kind of experience am I creating, that's a mistake. And uh, we all feel that because we have bills we have to pay ourselves. But it's really important that you're attracting what you want in your life and you're thinking about that and detailing that, that action plan. 
So it's a daily thing of looking at what do I go to do today that's going to help me have 30, 60, and 90 day targets. Mm-hmm. Focusing on those instead of being like, the world's going crazy. There's nothing I can do. It's all out of my control anyway. And really getting depressed. It's amazing how when you take action on things, your, your perspective of everything changes. The other thing is you can't, you can't move your boat in the right direction if you're sitting still. Take action. You know, get in, in momentum. Build momentum in your business. And then you can start steering it the right way you want to go. You're going to find, okay, that didn't work as well. Then steer it back over this other way. But it's impossible to steer a boat when there's no momentum. There's no action. So that if I could say anything that you would do, it's just you got to take action on something. And that could be that 30 days, the 60 days, 90 day activities, and then list out goals of what you can do. What can I change in my business? I have friends that because of, for healthcare, what they would do is to provide meals for health in the restaurant business, who provide uh, meals to healthcare professionals. And then they would get promotion of, for them doing that until about a different event they were doing where people could come by and they could eat food and they pick out what they want. Um, where they would have like, just simplify your options too, make it simpler to buy from you instead of having it being really complex. So I've seen restaurants who've done that where they can go and they just, they have a long line. There's only two items on the menu and you put up a number one or number two and you're going through the drive through and you can pick out those, those meal items, you know, and you just do it until it's sold out and then you do it the next day. But that's an example of taking something that's, you know, the whole restaurant industry has really been upended by this, right? And mm-hmm. I've seen some people who've been very, very successful and their businesses, uh, proceed on like this ice cream store I was talking about, Brooker's Ice Cream. He's a good friend of mine, but he he, uh, he would actually, he opened longer hours than instead of doing shorter hours, which was interesting. He would stay open until 11 o'clock at night when people would be stressed out and they say, you know what, we really could use right now some ice cream. So he would do these promotions. And, and since he does it all around historical characters, what he did is he had what's called the Paul Revere Midnight Ride, where they'd ride out a moped and deliver ice cream to, to one person at night. And so people would Every time you bought something there, you'd be entered into that drawing. And so then you have your ice cream delivered on a moped. So it's just being really creative about ideas like that can be so powerful and not just sitting still and saying, well, was me. I don't know what I can do. Yeah. But just That's getting out huge. there and getting around doing things for sure. That is so huge. Thank you for bringing that up because I think it is easy to sit and worry and fret. And when you... Um, adjust your attitude and commit to taking actions. What a difference that makes. Absolutely. Jim, this has been so great. Just a wealth of information that you've shared and it's just the tip of the iceberg of what's in your book. So I highly recommend that people buy um, clear and present game changers. So as we wrap up, tell people where they can get your book and connect with you and learn more about your services. Yeah, so you can go to my website, uh, soundlawsofsuccess.com. I have my own podcast called Sound Laws of Success. I had Meredith on the show, uh, I guess, a little bit over a month ago, a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, her book is fantastic, too. So if you don't have that one, you need to get her book because it's great, strong for performance. Um, I, you can also send me an email if you want to. My email is jamescarlbutler at gmail.com. And the Carl's with a K. And uh, you can also re- find me on Instagram at jamescarlbutler. Um, and so that's probably the best ways to get in touch with me. But I'd be happy to help if I can. I think it's just a matter of uh, looking at your specific thing. What I kind of specialize is in helping people improve their systems and looking at them, helping them improve that so they can actually make money with better processes and systems. Because a lot of times we don't change our systems in our business until it's too late, till we've lost money, we've lost credibility. And if you take the time to work on that, that's something that I always specialize in with business owners and helping them with that. Yes, you you really are an expert at that. Well, James Butler, thank you so much for being with me today and for the 
generous spirit you have in sharing with so many people. I admire what you're doing and I love that you were my guest today sharing your wisdom with my listeners. Thank you so much, Meredith. It's great to be on here with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.